Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man that is scarred for life because his parents wouldn't pay extra for the laser background at the Sears Portrait Studio when he was <laughs> 10 years old. Damn it, cheap asses. <laughs> Everybody had to have a laser background. That's it. Not I mean, me. I got I, the Kmart version. <laughs> I think mine paid extra for the, the old grist mill with a water wheel or something. It was stopper guns or something. <laughs> What's going on, bud? What's happening with you, my friend? Uh, joining a beer and recording an episode. That's right. It's a good afternoon. This is a rare treat for us to be able to go in here early and see what's going on. That's it. I love it. I do too, man. You got any shout outs for us? I do. Uh, we'd like to say thank you to a YouTuber, Kim Visible, if she gave us some really great comments on our YouTube channel. We really appreciate that. You can go and check her out at uh, Kim Visible. You know who you are. Yes. And we also would like to welcome Carrie Jewel Cook to the Crack House family. She left us a really, really cool comment on our Facebook page, and we really appreciate that. And we're trying to keep them coming so you don't get caught up too quick. That's it. Yep, so thank you uh, for getting in there and sharing and putting out the word. Thanks to everybody that listens, and spread the word. Tell everybody about us. Man, we really appreciate it. It seems like you guys are spreading the word and appreciating what we do, and we appreciate what you are doing. Yep. We're all just appreciating. And we want to thank everybody for going on to Apple iTunes, giving us a rate and review. <clears throat> we want to thank everybody for visiting our website, check out the store page. Get you a t-shirt, help support the crack house. Yeah, some folks been buying some stuff. Yeah, they have. That's really nice. We appreciate it. Exactly. All right, man, we're going to get in. buy some microphone or something here shortly. Yeah, buy us another 12-pack of beer. Yeah, it's better than a microphone. You got that right. <laughs> what we got works pretty good. Yeah, good sound stuff. That's it. All right, dude, we're going to get into our episode, man. Let's do it. And this is a actually a tie-in Sort of to our last episode. Well, you know, when we did the last one and uh, it came up and it was like, uh, it was talking about National Forest and all that stuff, I knew you was over there just salivating because that's, that's your gig. Oh, yeah. You're the, you're the hiking king. Mm-hmm. I might hike over to the refrigerator and grab a beer, but that's that's about as far as I'm going. That's it. So, what's, what, what's the name of this cat there? This guy, his name is gary michael hilton right and he was actually like we said a suspect in our last episode of patrice Indress. right so it's kind of cool to have a little crossover yeah so we've got a little tie-in going with this one but like we said gary michael hilton he was born on november 26 1946 in atlanta georgia his parents were william e hilton and his mother was cleo m reynolds I'm assuming he's not related to the, the hotel folks. No, I don't think so. No, <laughs> no but uh, shortly after he was born, they moved to Hialeah, Florida. Hialeah. And there's not much information on Hilton when he was young. There is uh, one report of him getting hurt when he was a small kid. It was reported that uh, he was scalped by Murphy Bed. Ugh. And if anybody don't know what a Murphy bed is, it's one of those beds that folds up into the wall and pulls down. So I guess it, I don't know, fell on him or something. But anyway, it scalped him. And he needed over 200 stitches. My God. And spent a considerable amount of time in the hospital recovering. I wonder, he must have crawled up in there and then somebody pulled it down. and it Could have. I don't know. That's awful. I don't know. But that was a pretty significant head injury for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 200 stitches is not good. And it was also reported that he had an incestuous relationship with his mother. Mm. 
And, and this was later found out when Hilton had confessed this to a high school girlfriend. Yeah, that's what I like to tell all my girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> tell me something about yourself. Well, well you're not going to believe this, but... Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> yeah. Now, in 1959, when Hilton was 13 years old, he had shot a guy named Nilo DeBag, and this was his stepfather, Dale. Mm. And in Gary's mind, Nilo DeBag had taken his mother away from him. Okay, so this guy had started dating his mom, and then they weren't married, or where they were? Yeah, they were married. Okay. It was his stepfather. All right. So I guess what... uh he had married uh, his mom, and then uh, so they, he'd always been together, him and his mom, so basically felt like he was taking him away from him. Yeah. And, and uh, I guess they didn't get along too good. No, it didn't sound like it, but this was the first time that Hilton had tried to kill another human being, but he failed. Well, that's good. He only wounded him, and the bag, I can't get, a, I can't get past that name. Not to be confused with count the money <laughs> yeah or the bag his name is pronounced the bag d-e-b-a-g right and he seemed to be somewhat of a forgiven man apparently yeah and he decided to give hilton his stepson a second chance and didn't press charges well, that's awful nice yeah but hilton was briefly confined to a mental hospital so he said we oh, he, he won't charge uh, uh won't press charges but he don't well, he wanted him to go to a mental hospital for and a get, get some help yeah I, I get that right yeah try to help him out still throw him in the slammer hilton's mom wouldn't let him back in the house until right before he started school so this is like right after he got out of the hospital yeah so she was probably worried since that incident happened but yeah when he decided to try to straighten up and go back to school, yep. everything was cool, I guess. And he enrolled in Miami Springs Junior High. And in 1961, when Hilton was 14... He actually shot him twice. I think that's why he had to move out. And he moved in with some other people by the name of Dawn and Mark Jeffers. Was they related to him? I don't know if they were neighbors or friends of the family or what, but that's right. pretty much what happened. He had to, Hilton had to leave. In 1963, at the age of 17, Hilton enlisted in the U.S. Army, and he got his GED. I think he quit high school. I think he went through the 11th grade and started the 12th grade, then quit. Mm. So he got his GED and was sent to West Germany. And Dale, he was signed to the Davy Crockett Platoon. Davy Crockett? Yep. Uh, the Wild Frontier? Yep. Shot him a bear when he was only three. That's right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if anybody don't know what who Davy Crockett is, he's that you know that coonskin cap wearing, like we said, king of the wild frontier. Right. And <laughs> I can't get over shooting a bear when he's only three. <laughs> but uh, Hilton shot his stepfather when he was thirteen. He was thirteen years. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there were nineteen men in this special platoon. I air quoted this special platoon. I saw that. Yep. And <laughs> their task was simple. Direct and deploy the Davy Crockett missile. Now, get this. It was an XM-388 nuclear projectile that was launched from either a 120-millimeter XM-28 or a 155-millimeter XM-29 recoilless rifle. Yeah, that's what I want to be doing. Yeah, I wake up every day aspiring <laughs> to do this. Basically shooting a nuclear missile from a rifle. Yeah. 
Now, according to the Brookings Institute, it was the smallest and lightest nuclear weapon ever deployed by the United States military. What the hell? And it was designed for use against the Soviet troops. Hmm. Yeah. Now, this thing, uh, I just, I'm just going to get in a little bit about this Davy Crockett missile. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. It had a maximum range of 1.24 miles. And the, this Army's brilliant idea was to arrange these units armed with these handheld nuclear weapons all across West Germany. And <laughs> establishing an impenetrable perimeter against an armed Soviet attack. Good Lord. This and, is what, 19, what, 63? Yeah. Somewhere in there? Yeah. Okay. Cold, yeah. Cold War stuff. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the, if the Soviets appeared on the horizon and... This is what would happen. They would go up the line to the President of the United States, and then he would make the decision whether or not to fire. Yeah, so they stand out there. They stand out there there with these rifles that's going to launch a nuclear projectile right there. For uh, just about a mile and a quarter. Yeah. Yeah, I can't get over that. Now, the members of this Davy Crockett platoon were supposedly – Carefully screened for psychological fitness, but you know we're wondering how Hilton got in. Yeah, since he'd already been in the mental hospital there to get some yeah, help and shooting his stepfather. Right, and being a member of this suicide mission, I mean the Davy Crockett soldiers would be blown to hell and back if they ever fired a nuclear-tipped missile. We think about it, but a mile away. <laughs> yeah, God Almighty. Yeah. So apparently whoever made this knew that they wasn't going to be the one shooting it. And I can't imagine the stress this would cause on anybody. Yeah. Or, you know, I can't. That's probably why he got the damn job, because they're like, well, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah, let's see. Hey, look at there. He didn't ask no questions. They saw him coming a mile away. That's crazy. Yeah. Now, while Hilton was in Germany, he married a woman named Ursula. I always think about the octopus chick from little mermaid there yeah (laughs) and moved her back to the united states and helped her get a visa but they divorced shortly after they moved back now a few years into his service hilton began hearing voices dale Mm. and soon suffered a full-blown schizophrenic breakdown and the army put him in a mental hospital where he was drugged on thorazine but rather than give him a section eight psychiatric discharge they chose to give him an honorable discharge instead so they kind of swept him under the rug here seems like it yeah don't look at this but probably didn't want him to tell him about the damn nuclear weapon rifles that's true probably just one <laughs> hand washes the other you know you don't tell us about yeah yeah we won't, you know. <laughs> and he was released from the army in 1967 like we said with that honorable discharge at the age of 21 21 and there was no record of any army personnel you know following hilton into civilian life to see how he functioned right so they never did check up on him to make sure he's doing okay even after a major breakdown in schizophrenia yep but now besides all this it was reported that you know when hilton was younger he was a, a decent looking guy and a long distance runner and according to some test he possessed a genius level iq of 120 yeah that's not usually a good sign no because a lot of these serial killers got high cues mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now in 1969 he married his second wife her name was sue there's not much information on her in dekalb county georgia but they divorced 
just uh, like a year and a half later in 1971. He wasn't too good at this marriage stuff. No, he wasn't too good at it at all. But they divorced in 1971 in Miami, Florida. Now, during this time when he was in Florida, he qualified for a chauffeur's license deal. Well. And this was according to the Florida Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles. I wonder what he's going to do with a chauffeur's license. I don't know. I guess chauffeur. (laughs) I guess. Drive a limo? I don't know. Yep. But a year later, in January... He of, fucked that up, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a year later, in January of 73, he was convicted of a DUI in Miami-Dade County. And his Florida license was revoked for a year. Yeah, it's not good. And he never took steps to, to reinstate it. Yeah, he's going downhill quick. Now, there's some time lapse right here. There's not much information on... Gary Hilton between 1973 and 1977. I'm guessing he's just working odd jobs and between Florida and Georgia. And definitely not driving. No. Well, legally. But on August the 24th of 77, he married a Dina Yvonne Bogg. This was in DeKalb County, Georgia. But divorced her less than a year later in, in May of 78. Hmm. Poor feller. So he's he's getting married and divorced. He's racking them up, isn't he? Yep. Now, almost a year later, he married his fourth wife, <laughs> Betty Sue Edwards Galloway. Now, she was a security officer for Atlanta Stone Mountain Park. Oh, cool. But they divorced on October the 24th of 79. Same year. Yeah. Him, not even seven months. And with four wives, it's unknown if Hilton had any kids. I don't, I don't know. I've never heard. No, uh, didn't see anything about it or anything about no. it. No. But really didn't have time, I don't think. Good God. But, yeah, we covered a big span of time. But during, yeah. all, during all this time, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, he constantly stayed in out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in and out of marriages. Yeah. I mean, he was arrested for arson, marijuana possession, stealing books from a bookstore. And even 21 counts of solicitation. Well, he needed some books to keep his education up. I guess. And his, his I call me one rest. And his IQ. Yeah. Now, Dale, in 1995. 95. Hilton was a consultant for a movie called Deadly Run. And it was created by Samuel Rael. And he met Hilton in the mid-'80s. Because Hilton had hired Riel as his attorney when he was busted for trespassing on Atlanta City property. Hmm. But, and Riel even noted that uh, Hilton was one of his first legal clients after he'd become a lawyer. Right. And Riel said he defended him on several charges over the years, including, like we said, arson, false solicitation, um, several different things. And they... Became a pretty good, had a pretty good friendship from everything I heard. <laughs> well, I guess so. He's always hanging out. I'm yeah. in trouble again. Yeah. He's seen him pretty weekly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in 1995, Riel decided he wanted to make movies. So I'm, I'm, I'm a lawyer, but well, I think I'm going to make a movie. What the hell? Yeah. Hilton seemed to have plenty of ideas. But, you know, at this time, Hilton wasn't known as a serial killer. No, no, no. He just had ideas, I guess. Well, he'd been around. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was a nuclear rifle shooter. And that's true. <laughs> and for a while, that's enough to give you kind of information on anything <laughs> or advice. But 
Riel said he was a consultant on this movie from the beginning to the middle to the end. And Hilton even picked the cast and other movie workers. Hmm. Even said Riel thought that Hilton was extremely creative, and he saw him as a really interesting guy with a loose screw. Yeah, that's probably been that on. So what was the what was the plot of this here film? Dale, it was about <laughs> a guy abducting women and keeping them in his cabin and murdering them. So he'd pick them up in in town and take them out in the woods. Yeah. So it's kind of like uh, Robert Hansen. Kind of. But not in the cold. Yeah. Hmm. That's what the movie is based on. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> so he was a consultant on this, so yeah. He, he, so he had some stuff going through his head at this point. He was yeah. just going to put this in a movie. And, and yeah, this, this Riel guy said he was an expert on this stuff. I bet he was. Mm-hmm. But he even recalled Hilton as being a dog lover and an outdoorsman. Even though he didn't pay Hilton at all to do none of this, right? Yep. Mm. And well, he, what a guy. Probably straightened out legal fees. Probably. <laughs> you help me in my movie and I'll, I'll defend you on something. <laughs> I know it's going to be something coming up next week. Yeah, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> now, Gary, he said Gary lived almost outdoors all the time. He said he didn't even come to his house and take a shower. Mm. So he was almost like a transient, I guess, in yep, a way. Probably so. Moving a little bit ahead, in 2005, this was about two years before he had his first victim. And about 10 years after the movie, right? Yes. Hilton abandoned a van in the Trey Mountain area of White County, Georgia. And he received a citation for doing this, but didn't answer it. And a warrant for his arrest was issued and put into the federal database. Federal. And we're going to talk about this just a little bit later. Yeah. It's going to come into play. That's right. That federal. that little incident there. Now, while in Georgia, Hilton had worked for years as a handyman for a guy named John Tabor. And I think he had a home siding business. Yeah, I think so. And around the Atlanta area. But Tabor not only employed Hilton, he provided him a home to live in right. on, his, on his property. Now, soon after Hilton began taking Ritalin, he was prescribed Ritalin for ADHD, I guess, or what the doctors thought he had. Yeah, but he didn't actually have it. No. Right. He, he was actually <clears throat> misdiagnosed. Right. And uh, what it did, it changed his demeanor completely. Right. Because this pretty much acts as a stimulant if you don't actually have ADHD or ADD. Yep. He got irritable and confrontational and even acted out. Hmm. And even threatened his boss, John Tabor, many times. And it wasn't long before uh, Hilton lost his job and his home on uh, his boss's property. Yeah, I think one time he even went to Tabor and... And uh, told him he wanted $10,000. He's going to kill him, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. threatened him and his family and had a uh, old boy would go home. He said he would drive around the block and then see if uh, he was around anywhere before he would actually go home. He's, he was afraid. Yeah, I can't imagine. And slip, he said he slipped with a rifle and a, a pistol right beside his bed. And then at one point, he even sent his wife to go live somewhere else for a while because he was so worried about this guy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's pretty unstable. Yeah. But now, if Hilton had one passion, one comfort that, you know, that set him aside, it was the outdoors. Right. And in 2007, after being fired by uh, John Tabor, Hilton hit the road in his Chevy Astro van with his dog, Dandy. Dandy. I bet he was a dandy dog, wasn't he? Yep. And he was still on his Ritalin. Mm-hmm. And Hilton preferred national parks, and he headed north. Left Georgia and went into North Carolina. 
to the Pisgah National Forest just outside of Asheville. Right. Just on the road here. And I've been all through that area. It's your stomping grounds, ain't it? Oh, yeah. I know Pisgah Forest probably better than I know my own backyard. I've been all over it. And when I was reading through this, Dale, I I recognized a lot of these places that he'd been. I bet so. So It's kind of eerie. I was wondering uh, what you thought about now next time you go hiking are you gonna have i've always been behind in the back of your mind you know a little more worried about stuff oh yeah anytime yeah i've always been you know if i'm on a trail you know encounter somebody you know i watch them you know i make sure they're going on and you know and try to remember faces if i speak to somebody you know hey how you doing or something i always try to remember that and Mm. associate them if, if i encounter them back on the trail if you didn't you damn well after this one yeah yeah, creepy. Now, it was on the at the Pisgah National Forest. This was where Hilton first encountered uh, senior citizens Irene and John Bryant. I think John went by Jack, mm-hmm. and he was on a hike through this part of the park. Amazing people. Yep. And this was, you know, this was the Appalachian Wilderness that Hilton decided where he decided to murder them. I guess. Mm. Yeah, but the the Bryants they were from Horseshoe, North Carolina. And it was reported that Irene, I mean, she was a big outdoors enthusiast. Yeah, both of them. Yeah. Uh, she even even saying that, you know, she loved, her neighbor even told her, you know, reporters that she loved the nature so much that if he ever spotted a deer just outside to call her so she'd go out and look at it. Mm. I mean, it was that passionate about it. Just good people. Yep. And her husband, Jack, he loved hiking and it was so strong that he even conquered the 2,000 plus mile Appalachian Trail. That's a that's a damn good feat there, isn't it? Yep. And even having arthritis and even arthritic back. Yeah, not to mention these folks are in their eighties now. Yeah. And still doing this. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yep. And I've been on part of the Appalachian Trail and it's not it's not easy. Now, even in their eighties, they loved outdoors. They went weekly or sometimes bi weekly. Even spur of the moment trips overseas and but Irene, she was eighty four and her husband Jack would have turned 80 in late October of that year. Mm. So they were enjoying Lionsdale <clears throat> and just having a good time. Mm-hmm. But, walking in the woods. Yep. But their love for nature ended when uh, the Bryants crossed paths with Gary Michael Hilton. And police say that uh, Hilton at the time was 61 year old. 60. And 61. And this is a, a late start to be killing people. Yeah, it's kind Some, of strange to me. Something must have, have triggered him. I and mean, I don't know if it was the Ritalin or or what, but something triggered him to be a serial killer that late in life. Right. But it's, the Bryants are the first known victims of Hilton. Unless he's just broke and needed money, and that's the only way he can cover his tracks. Yeah. But Hilton encountered them about 20 miles from their home, just outside the Pisgah National Forest. And what they were doing, they were going to see the fall leaves in October. Right. So that was just their, I guess, a day outing for them. Hmm. But Irene Bryant's body was found three weeks later, covered with some branches and leaves. And it was just about 50 paces from where they had parked their Ford Escape. Right. And this was on Yalla Gap Road. And it was determined that she died of blunt force trauma to the head. Yeah, I think they had been missing for a while, and even their adult kids didn't really think much about it at first because they always do just go so much. But after a few weeks not hearing anything, I think their adult son from Texas had actually started to make it to drive out to see if he could figure out what the hell was going on. And I think he was actually the one that run 
run up on their car parked there yeah and found it yeah mm-hmm. so he knew you know after a couple of weeks something's off and yeah, so not even answering emails or anything you know yeah now jack's body had not been found but a few days later someone using their atm card uh withdrew three hundred dollars from a bank in ducktown tennessee right and there is video from a security camera that shows a shadowy figure wearing looks like a hooded yellow raincoat and even a, a delivery truck driver in Ducktown told them the Times News in Western North Carolina, that was a newspaper, she told them that she recalls seeing Hilton around that area at that time. Right. You couldn't really tell who it is in, in the footage. You could see that basically that yellow coat, just could tell he's tall and like he knew it wasn't Jack. Yeah, and we've got some pictures of some of these video surveillances that we'll post on our social media. In uh, December of 2005, a 59-year-old woman named Rosanna Milani. She turned up missing while hiking in Bryson City, North Carolina. And I've been to Bryson City. It's one of my favorite towns. It's amazing. Now, Milani was last seen at approximately 12 p.m. at the Ramada Inn Hotel in the vicinity of the 100 block of Paint Town Road in Cherokee. This is in North Carolina. Hmm. Now, she is from Miami, Florida, and was vacationing in North Carolina at the time. Yeah, she always wanted to come up and hike the Appalachian Trail, I think. Yep. Yeah. And she even called her father from the hotel that day and told him she was going hiking. Right. So they kind of knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. But she, she was sighted in Bryson City the day of her disappearance. And she rented a storage place at the Ye old Mini Storage <laughs> on River Street. I've never n- noticed that, that storage place there. Next time I'm up there, I'll look for it. Yeah. But she has not been seen since. Hmm. And it was reported that she had a large beige suitcase with a broken handle, a matching carry-on bag, a laptop computer, sleeping bag, a camera, cell phone, and some other personal right. items. And But none of that stuff has been recovered, and she has not withdrawn any money from her bank account since she went missing. But some funds were deposited. That's in, weird. You know, later in December, well, actually New Year's Eve yeah. of that year. So she went missing on December the 7th. And, you know, her parents all said that, that that's the last ever transaction that's happened. Yeah. They said a, a private investigator that was working her, her case, they they had a sketch of the man who was seen with her before she vanished. And even a store clerk who read about her disappearance in the newspaper on the two-year anniversary stated that she sold a backpack and an unidentified man was with her. He was about 60 years old. Right. And he had gray hair at his temples. And, but she said he may have been wearing a hairpiece. Yes, it didn't sit on his head right. Uh, a little wopsided or something. But it's kind of wild because she, she never said nothing about it. She remembered him coming in and said that the girl was really nervous. But she didn't really think a lot about it. And then two years later, I think, yeah, that's what, and, uh, on the anniversary when she saw it again in the paper, when it, that's when she finally told him that, you know, that they had been in the store. Yeah. So that's kind of wild. Mm-hmm. But this um, this case remains unsolved, and Gary Michael Hilton is a possible suspect. Yeah, I think after they showed the lady at the store about a sketch and or, or a photograph, and she said that she's pretty sure that's who it was. So, mm-hmm. uh, and it fits. I'm, I'm gonna blame it on. The only thing that about it is unless she had cash on her, and Gary took that money from her because you know, like with the Bryants, he took an ATM card. Yeah, and was able to get money. She may not have had an ATM card. Right. So it's probably just cash that 
and all her stuff that's never been recovered. Yep. And sold it or something, maybe. Yeah, throw it in that river right there. Mm. By the way, there's a really good Italian restaurant right there on the river called Pasqualino's Italian Restaurant. It's really good. Mm, okay. Noted. Yep. All right. <laughs> Just giving a shout-out to Pasqualino's. Pasqualino's. All right. Now, shortly after this, Hilton left North Carolina, driving south into Georgia. And he set up a camp on a private hunting preserve in Cherokee County. And a local noticed his presence and called the police to make a complaint. And a deputy drove out to get Hilton off the property. Right. And when he got there, the deputy ran Hilton's license through a state database. Mm -hmm. And there were no outstanding warrants in Georgia. Yeah, so basically he ran the stuff and just was going to tell him to leave. Yep. And at that time, Dale, there were no requirements that a license be run through the federal database. Right. So it wasn't. And this is getting back to when he had that outstanding warrant, a federal outstanding warrant. Yep. When he left that van. Yep. So if he would have ran that federal search. He'd have had him right there. Yep. He'd have been arrested and all this would wouldn't be doing this podcast. Right. Yep. But, you know, nothing took place and the deputy told Hilton to pack his stuff up and get out. Yep. He's he was, free to go. Yep. And he left Cherokee County and he drove south, crossing into Florida and entering the Apalachicola National Forest. And this was just outside of Tallahassee. And it was the middle of November. And he had another run in with a park service officer on November 17th. But he was let go with a warning not to exceed the park's 14-day camping limit. And once again, his name was not cross-referenced in any federal database or outstanding warrants deal. Yeah, so he keeps bumping into authority, but there's not doing the right stuff yeah we see a lot of these things like this happening with yeah. um killers and you know even woodfield he he would do stuff and not get caught mm-hmm. nothing was done about it now on december the 1st 2007 46 year old nurse cheryl dunlap was in the apalachicola national forest and she was going hiking that day right and she was described as uh, having thick Wavy brown hair, brown eyes, and thin lips. Yeah. And she was a mother, devoted member of her evangelical Christian River of Life Church. Christian River. Yep. <laughs> but soon after her disappearance, now Cheryl's car was found with a flat tire. Right. On the Crawfordville Highway, and it was parked just outside of the park's entrance, the Apalachicola Park entrance. And she may have been attempting to flag someone down to get some assistance. At least that's what it looked like. Yep. And opportunity right here struck, and this is when Hilton came up on her. Yep. And a few days after the discovery of Cheryl's car, a security camera footage surfaced of a man in a rubber mask. And I found a picture of this rubber mask online. It's pretty creepy. Pretty creepy. Yeah, and we'll post that too. Uh, He was in this rubber mask attempting to, to use... Uh, Cheryl Dunlap's bank card at an ATM. And then on December the 15th, the Apalachicola Park Rangers noted that buzzards were picking over a large carcass. Hmm. And they realized it was the body of a woman as they got closer. And she had wounds to her torso and legs. And then they noticed what wasn't there. Her head. Yep. And her hands. And her hands. Yeah, they had been cut off. So he was doing this to help uh, disguise the identity. Yep. Or throw them off the trail. Exactly. Right. Now, they were looking everywhere for clues for their killer, and 
Uh, but Gary Hilton hit the road. Yep. And by the end of 2007, he was back in Georgia just in time for New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Now, on Tuesday, January the 1st, 2008, uh, Gary Hilton and his Red Irish Golden Retriever named Dandy. Dandy. They set out for a hike on Blood Mountain, and this was just outside of Atlanta in the Vogel State Park. And, Dale, that's when they ran into a woman named Meredith Emerson. She was enjoying her New Year's Day uh, hike with her dog named Ella. Right. And her dog was a rescue dog, and she later had her trained to become a therapy dog. Yeah, I think she was training her, actually, to become a therapy dog. Yep. Yeah. Now, just a little bit on Meredith Emerson. She was born on June 20th, 1983, in Charleston, South Carolina. And she was raised in Holly Springs, North Carolina. Now, this is a suburb of Raleigh and in Longmont, Colorado. So she lived in both places as a young child. And she graduated from Niwot High School. And in 2005, she graduated with honors from the University of Georgia with a bachelor's degree in French and was even given the Cecil Wilcox Award for excellent in French. I think she was pretty fluent in French. Yeah. And was reported that she even traveled overseas or went to France to study there for a while. Now, witnesses claim to have seen Meredith with an older man on the Spur Trail connecting the Appalachian Trail with the Byron Herbert Reese parking lot. And when she did not return home on January the 2nd, 2008, her friends and family began to search for her. Yeah, she didn't show up for work either, so they knew something was up. Yeah, and she was reported as an overdue hiker. Hmm. And that's pretty common. You know, people go hiking and they don't come back when they say, and people get to looking for them. Right, you know, and they said that the weather was kind of nice on uh, New Year's, but that night the weather changed drastically. Yeah. It got really cold, and I think even snow came out, I think. That happens a lot, don't it? Yeah. Just changes right on our back. That seems like with a missing person, even when we done the, the Dennis Martin case. Yeah. You know, when he, that little boy went missing. And the hell of a storm rolled in. Yep. Yep. It rained for days. Washed everything up. Yep. Yep. All right. Anyway, getting back to uh, Meredith. Hilton tried abducting her, but now Meredith was trained in martial arts. Yeah, keto, I think. Yeah. You know, I think she even had a blue belt. Yep. If I'm not mistaken. That is correct. Yep. But and she tried to fight him off, and she did. She did pretty well for a while, and he said finally she had stepped back and lost her foot, and then that's when he got got the upper hand. But Hilton was trained in hand to hand combat from his days in the army. Yeah, that's true. But he's still sixty or whatever. Too, yep. So But he'd been he, living in a van for ten years, so he's like he's super stout. But yeah. But and you know. he eventually got the better of her, and he marched her down the mountain to his van. Right with knife point. Yep. He had a large hunting knife. Now, inside the van, he tied her down, but she insisted he go back and get her dog, Ella. Yep, and he did. He did. He drove away and held her for prisoner for days. And this time, um, Hilton didn't clean up his trail. Mm-mm. Other witnesses had seen him on the mountain that day. Yep. And they alerted authorities and even the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Right, you know, and they even came across that, and it looked like it was something had happened, a scuffle there, and they found, like, uh, a dog leash and some dog treats and a couple of bottles of water and uh, one of those expandable police batons yeah. laying on the ground, so they knew something was up. And they reported that to him. Yeah. That's and good. They turned it into a store or was there somewhere, and then they turned it into authorities. Yeah, that's good they noticed that stuff, because, you know, I see stuff on the trail all the time, but I don't think much about it, but... 
Right. Well, they said that one of the people who had seen him uh, while they were walking up, a guy and his buddies, one of them was a police officer, but he wasn't working. And uh, they were going up the trail, and they encountered him. And, you know, he kind of odd, you know, as an older guy and a younger lady. And she kind of looked, you know, flustered, but didn't really think a lot about it because they hadn't come across that scene. But then when they got on up the trail, that's when they came across the scene. So he, him being a police officer, you know, he, he saw all that and put it together pretty quick, I think, that mm-hmm. something had happened. Right. The police did, they continued to scour Blood Mountain. And despite the fact that attempts were used on her bank card, Many miles away, they, it wasn't, hadn't been reported. Well, you know, um, Georgia Bureau of Investigation said that uh, that was really one of the major setbacks to them, that they were relying on the banks to give them good information on this stuff. And then when they asked about if there had been any uh, any activity on the bank accounts and stuff, they kept telling them no for two or three days, which, in fact, there had been. But nothing was successful. They was trying, he was trying to access her card, but... It wasn't showing up as activity, so they kept telling them nothing's going on. So they were two or three days behind by the time that they actually got uh, good information. Mm-hmm. But what uh, Meredith had done, she was being held, but he was she was giving him fake PIN numbers. Yeah. Just to buy her time. Buy some time. Yeah. And he would go and try to withdraw money and then come back. Hmm. I bet he was mad. Yeah, but he was pretty <laughs> pissed off. News of this abduction went national. And it soon caught the attention of, guess who? Who? Hilton's former boss, John Taylor. That's right. Yeah. Well, when he heard, he wasn't watching the news because it, it was a pretty big story because they said, you know, all the reporters and all the trucks with the with the satellites on top of everything had come down, you know, and they'd, they had set up a, a makeshift camp in, a, in, an, in another, uh, I guess, a park with the cabins and stuff. They had set up a couple command posts. They had more area, I guess. Yeah, because they had to set up a couple of different command posts and said that when he saw, you know, who they were looking for and then there was a dog and stuff, he knew right away who it was. And uh, actually, the guy had called him, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, wanted some money and wanted his job back. And they, he told him, you know, just come on down. We'll make everything right. And then he called the FBI and told him that the guy had called him. But the problem was he waited, I think, almost three hours before he ever made the call. And by the time he called him, when they went to the huddle house, which is like a waffle house kind of sort of, when they went to the huddle house where he had called from, he was already gone. He didn't. So they had a chance to get him married, too. And this guy just waited around too long before he called the authorities and let them know that the guy had called him. Yep. Now, just a few days later, in DeKalb County, uh, Hilton was spotted in a parking lot. And he was removing stuff from his van and tossing them into a dumpster. Mm-hmm. And Dale, a phone call was made. It was a 911 call. And we've got that 911 call right here. The cab, 911, what's the exact location? I, I have the, uh, the person of interest in that missing woman case is at this uh, Chevron gas station on Ashford Dunwoody. Chevron gas station at Ashford Dunwoody? Yeah. You said the man is there? The van is here. The dog is here, the red dog, and I saw the man's face, and I've been watching the news, and I know it's him. I know it's him. He's got a green uh, long sweatshirt, and he's wearing a hat, and he's emptying all this stuff out of his van. Pillows and a blanket, and it looks like he's got a sleeping bag right now. Taking it all to the trash. Um, it's definitely and the looking around like he's as guilty as sin. Okay, sir, and the dumpster is at the rear of the location? Yeah, the dumpster, well, it's kind of right in the front. It's right by the car wash. Okay. I can go take him down if you want. No, sir, stay right there. Okay. 
Okay, hold on there. He looks like he's finishing up. You guys gotta hurry. He's got stuffed in bags that he's emptied onto the ground and he's taking load by load to the stir behind the car wash. Another, it's, this is the third backpack we've seen him take to the dumpster. Oh, I'm just shaking. You guys, are, is there somebody in route? Yes, sir. Here we go. Here comes the cops. Yes. Yes. Wait the bear? Yes. Yes. They got him. They got him? I mean, they don't have him yet, but they're getting out. Oh, they got him now. Here, two cruisers pulled up on him. Two of the cabs trying to All right. What do you think about that? Uh, that guy was wanting to go kick his butt, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I'll go take him down if you want me to. Yeah, no, no, huh? And actually, I think this is actually the second time that they had, somebody had spotted him uh, throwing some stuff out of his van. You know, the first time uh, when they were, the lady a lady had called in and said that uh, that uh, Ella had showed up in the grocery store where she was uh, where she was working. It was a Kroger, called, I think. Yeah, and called and said, this dog is here, and I think it's the one you're looking for. And they went and picked the dog up, and it was chipped, so they, they knew that it was indeed the dog they were looking for. Yeah, that um, Kroger supermarket that Ella showed up in was 60 miles away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then... Uh, That's what's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I think another lady had actually called and said that, uh, that Gary had called her, and he knew her, and uh, or she knew him, rather, and but she hadn't talked to him in years and said he had called her and she said, don't you know the whole world's looking for you? And said, as soon as she said that, he hung up and when they traced it, it was a little convenience store right across the street from that grocery yeah. store. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're closing in. Yeah. And then this guy that was on 911 call, he was the next call that they got. And mm-hmm. he was actually had seen him there and, and that's where they got him. Yeah. They pulled up and got him. Yep. Yeah. The DeKalb County deputies rushed in on the scene and, and they had to Sirens blasting and dome lights flashing, Dale. Right. And this time, uh, Hilton didn't have time to get away. No. And he offered no resistance as police put him in custody. And Hilton found himself in an interview room, and he was turned over to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Now, they said that uh, it was kind of strange because he was the first person that they had ever caught who actually told them his Miranda rights. Yeah. And so they knew right then this was not – they couldn't really – lean on him hard because he already knew the game and he gave them the right so he's gonna have to find him a lawyer <laughs> they wouldn't be able to talk to him at all and this interview it's on youtube and it's four and a half hours long yeah i tried to watch that i've watched a little bit of it and he's very well spoken he's very arrogant oh, most of them are mm-hmm. and he was looking to make a deal yeah he didn't want to go to the death chamber yeah now in exchange for a full confession and leading Georgia police to Meredith's body, Hilton would get life in prison without the possibility of parole. Right. And, so they made that deal. Yep. And under heavy escort, they took Hilton to a remote road in Dawson Forest. This was about 35 miles south of Blood Mountain. Right. Where he had buried Meredith. Well, part of her. Yeah. But uh, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation had been looking in the wrong place. And just like uh, Cheryl's body, uh, Meredith's head was gone. Mm. And he buried it nearby. Right. And he had to go find it for him, too. Yep. And I think he had wrapped it up in a tent and buried it. He said it was out near a tree that was down. said one end of the one end of the tree. You find some more of her clothes, the other end, you'll find her head. Yeah. Yeah. 
sick, man. Yeah. Now, as the Georgia authorities pieced together the murder of Meredith Emerson, uh, law, Florida law enforcement officers were connecting the dots between uh, Meredith Emerson and Cheryl Dunlap and to try to find out if their killer was the same guy. Right. But unlike Georgia, Florida was not going to make a deal. Hell no. Nope. Oh, yeah. And you know, Donnie, the whole time he was telling her that he wasn't going to kill her. That, uh, you know, he, he, he just wanted her money. I just want your money. I got your pen number. I got your card. I'm not going to hurt you. And then uh, he ended up, I think they were, before he got caught, you know, they were they were camping again somewhere. And a fella come up to him. He had gotten his truck stuck in the mud. And uh, he said he walked down. He could see them camping down there. So he was going to walk down there and see if the guy helped him get his truck out. And said so once he got close, the guy jumped up and run to him like he was didn't want him to see who was with him yeah and uh, he told him he wouldn't help him so he went back up so the guy went back to his truck he called authorities to get somebody to come out there and help him and, and when uh when gary saw him on the phone that's when he, he packed up everything and left and i think right after that's probably when he actually went and killed her i think he he said that uh, he went and had uh tied her up to a tree so she couldn't run back and he went back to the van i'm sure he's getting everything ready to go yeah. and he went back down and, and killed her yeah yeah, he, he knew it was closing in on him. Yeah, and, you know, even in those interviews, he said, you know, pretty much, when you do that to somebody, you know right then you're going to kill them or you're going to get caught. So he had never had any intentions of letting her go. No. Now, Irene Bryant, that was Hilton's first victim. She had been killed on federal land. That's the Pisgah National Forest. Right. In Transylvania County. And his third victim... Cheryl Dunlap had also been killed on federal land, you know, in the Apalachicola National Forest. Yeah, in Florida. Yep, that's uh, Leon County, Florida. Now, authorities suspected that Irene's husband, Jack Bryant, you know, he was abducted alongside Irene, was the second victim. Right. His body wasn't found for a while. Right. After hers was found. But now, with the Georgia deal signed, the question then became who would be next? Florida or the Vids? Yeah. Mm. Now, Sheriff David Mahoney of North Carolina's Transylvania County. Transylvania. Transylvania. You know, that's one thing, side note, I always thought was cool about North Carolina. You knew, like, we had Transylvania, and they also had the Batcave. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's cool. We got the Batcave. That but is very like, cool. Why would he put a sign up and tell where it is? You know, the Joker's going to find him. Exactly. Mm, anyway. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, just I just thought that was cool. Now, getting back to this uh, Sheriff David Mahoney of Transylvania County, he had the answer. And he talked to the U.S. attorney over who had jurisdiction to prosecute Hilton for Irene's murder. And he said Florida does have a fast track on the death penalty. Yeah, they don't play. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Texas and that. Huh? Yeah, they don't mess around. Because like from... 1976 to 2007, the federal government had executed just three people in capital murders. But in that same period of time, Florida had put 64 to death, averaging two a year. So they they got a (laughs) drive-through. Yeah. They ain't messing around. No. Now, on February the 2nd, 2008, this is getting back to the Bryants, the skeletal remains of Jack Bryant were discovered in the Nantahala National Forest in North Carolina. Nantahala. Now, to get Hilton to Florida for the death penalty, it picked up steam. And Hilton was extradited to Florida, where he was stand trial for the murder of 46-year-old 
Cheryl Dunlap. Right. Now, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement had found and identified Dunlap's body without her fingers in her head. And as in Meredith Emerson's case, Hilton had mutilated the body and I guess in, in a desperate attempt to try to hide, you know, to identify her. Right. You know, it didn't work and they used part of her thigh muscle to identify her. That's crazy, isn't it? Now they can do that, yeah. Forensics, man. I think it's very cool. Yes. In February 2011, this was two years after the pretrial hearings, two years. Two Hilton stood before the judge in Tallahassee, Florida, courtroom, and at the end of the four-week trial, the jury convicted Hilton on first-degree murder and recommended the death penalty. And the judge agreed and officially pronounced the death sentence. After this trial and the sentencing, Dateline NBC, they did a two-hour investigation into Hilton and his trail of death that he cut across the southern United States. And it seemed as if Hilton... The Hilton case was finally closed, but it wasn't. No. Nope. And in January 19th of 2016, Hilton was in a Tallahassee, Florida hearing where he planned to request a new trial on the basis of inadequate counsel. Yeah, but he never made it. Nope, didn't get there. And, but instead, on January the 12th, the United States Supreme Court delivered a decision that changed the rules of the game for Florida death penalty statute. Now, just getting into a little bit of this... Um, the challenge came from a case of a Florida man named Timothy Lee Hurst, and he was convicted of a 1998 murder of a co-worker, Cynthia Harrison. And a Florida penalty phase jury convicted Hurst of the crime and recommended that the judge impose the death sentence. The judge agreed and sentenced Hurst to death. But Hurst's lawyers challenged the decision and brought the case before the Supreme Court. In January of 2016, the associate Justice Sonia Sotomayor delivered the opinion of the court. And her opinion was, we hold this sentencing scheme unconstitutional. The Sixth Amendment requires a jury, not a judge, to find each fact necessary to impose a sentence of death. A jury's mere recommendation is not enough, hmm. Sotomayor wrote. So they're going to overturn it all. Yeah, and at that point, all executions in Florida, including Hilton's, were put on hold. Crazy. Trying to close down our drive through mm-hmm. Sotomayor also said that they are currently waiting on Florida Supreme Court to rule in the Hearst case. And the prosecutor who convicted Hilton, they have to decide whether Hearst is retroactive. And in the event that Florida rules otherwise and the Hearst decision is retroactive, the whole death penalty scheme in Florida will be set and sentence would be scrapped and all prisoners on death row, including Hilton, would be subject to resentencing. Hmm. That's a lot of... That's crazy. Yep. And the Florida legislature is currently drafting a new law in accordance with the United States Supreme Court decision and what the Florida Supreme Court will decide this February. That was in 2016. But uh, as for Hilton, he's back in prison, watching and waiting, and at the moment has all the time in the world. Hmm. So he's not getting out. So he's not getting out, but he's not been put to death yet either. No, no. Now, Dale, just going to wind this little story up about Hilton. Okay. Uh, for the dog lovers out there, we mentioned a couple dogs in this case. Now, Dandy, that's Hilton's dog, the reddish golden retriever, he was adopted into a new home. Uh, Brad Morris, the public defender for the Gainesville-based 
Northeastern Judicial Circuit said Hilton was concerned that, you know, his dog would have a good home. Mm. And the dog's new owner is someone close to the case who offered to take the dog. But Morris said Hilton did not know the person before killing and that the person does not want to be identified. Well, I can see that. Yep. Now, Meredith's dog, Ella, her parents took her. She was a black Labrador retriever mix. They took her back to Colorado to live with them. Well, that's good. Yep. So, happy ending for dog lovers. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you know, Gary said why he didn't kill a dog. He's just, he just couldn't kill a dog. Yeah. But he'd kill a human. Cut her head off and her hands off and burn. You know, they found part of that one person in his campfire and the head and some stuff. Found the bones in the campfire and all that mm-hmm. mess. <laughs> and even Meredith, he tied her to that tree and he took the tire tool and hit her in the head like 12 times to kill her. But yeah. he just didn't have the heart to put a dog down. Mm-hmm. He's a sick individual, man. Sick. Oh, well. Anyway, good news for the dogs. Exactly. And good news for Meredith's family to have some closure to her case and yeah. uh, the Bryant's and Cheryl Dunlap's family, too. Yep. So, but there's possibly many more other murders he's he's very capable of doing that you know they're just not able to prove yeah i'm telling you man just think if this cat was uh, doing this back in before all this forensic stuff was so good you know because he didn't start till he was like 60 years old or something yeah so he he really could have been bad yep all right dale that is the case of gary michael hilton the National Forest Killer. Yeah, Gary Michael, yes. The National Forest Killer. Yep. All right. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings, and always watch yourself on the trail. That's right. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the, the Crack, Crack House, House Chronicles. Chronicles.